Well, Kylie Lewis, thank you for joining us today on our very first episode of So You Want to Make a Difference. Julia and I are super excited to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be part of it. Yeah, thank you. So what I thought I would start with is maybe if you can uh, talk a little bit about your personal journey and your backstory and who you are and what you do, and then I'd love to jump in uh, and ask you some questions about how um, you're making a difference. Sure. So, I mean, at the moment, I'm currently working in my own business. So I have um, a a leadership facilitation and coaching business called Of Kin here in Melbourne, Australia. And that's about eight years old now. And I made the leap into that business after a 20-year digital strategy career. So I was working in the internet space and part of the uh, dot-com booms and busts and the startup hustle and um, and did that for for quite a while and kind of one of the last major organizations that I worked for I I led quite a significant e-commerce development project which pretty much just burnt me out (laughs) you know there was it was a really big year it was there was a lot of um, technical issues there was a lot of change that was required by the organization but it also coincided with a really big year of just things happening in my personal life as well and you know as things go you kind of um, can come to this place where everything just sort of comes smashing together and colliding and it gives you an opportunity kind of when you when you kind of face down in all of that to say actually what do I really want and what really matters to me at this point in my life because what I started out doing 20 years ago doesn't necessarily serve what I think is important and what I know now and the kind of impact that I want to have going forward. So it was really interesting because I was sitting in that role and I was in the marketing department and I was working on digital strategy and I had originally studied psychology and sociology so I was sitting here in the marketing department and I realized I would sort of look up and look over longingly to the HR department who were working on culture and um, development and staff training and I just I kind of was just going, I think I actually want to be over there somewhere. And I couldn't really find a pathway to do that where I was and decided that, well, now's probably a good time to take a leap. My husband had done that a few years beforehand and we were sort of in a position where it enabled it to do it. And that was it was really just that kind of experimental mindset of saying, well, let's just see what happens. You know, what's what's the worst that could happen? I fall flat on my face. I go and find another job somewhere else. But if I don't kind of back myself to have a go at creating something that I want to create and doing kind of work that I think is really important and necessary and missing, you know, if I don't do that now, when am I going to get around to doing that? Because there's, you know, we know it's almost like having kids. There's never really a perfect time to do it. There's always something, <laughs> there's always something in your mind that could hold you back. And and on that, I, you know, I had young kids and I kind of realised I wanted to be a role model for them in how I would hope that they would grow up and and live their lives, which is about having clarity of what's important to them and having the courage to change direction and back themselves to do things that matter. Amazing. Very courageous, I think, to take the big leap. It feels terrifying at the time. I mean, that's the thing about 
about courage and I went on to write a book off the back of a blog series that I wrote when I started my own business which was called The Leap Stories and in the you know the first paragraph in the book is just describes me waking up every morning for three weeks like sitting bolt upright as soon as I kind of got consciousness going what the have I done and you know kind of like his um, disbelief of you've just walked away from a job that you once considered a dream job into you know the great uncertainty and their courage always feels uncomfortable it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel brave it always just feels like you're white knuckling it I think <laughs> in those moments Kylie you talk about backing yourself but in those moments of doubt how did you push on I think in so I I started my own business in 2013 and 2012 as I said was a really difficult year and I guess during that time I was sort of reflecting <laughs> this sounds really naff but I actually had a Pinterest board of of quotes and insights and inspiration around well what really matters and what do I care about and looking ahead of ahead of me of people who had already done this and I should say sort of at the same time I had I was sort of side hustling and I was doing some blog production for friends of mine who had started their own trade show business and one of the things that they had asked me to do was go and do blog series interviews with their exhibitors and so I just became immersed in this world of people from lifestyle brands and homewares brands and beauty brands who had made the leap into their own business. And and even though I had grown up in a family retail business, the idea of actually getting into my own business just had never really gelled with me. And all of a sudden I found myself just surrounded with people who were doing it, who had just you know, had also left corporate careers to take up new opportunities, who had, you know, started up things on the side and, you know, created products that didn't exist before. And the closer you get to those kind of people, the more you realise it's just about being able to sit in that space of discomfort long enough to get to the next step to take action yeah so you know it was just like you don't have to have it all completely figured out but unless you are prepared to say okay well what would the next step be you know if I was to consider this um then you just don't know what's possible and so yeah it's always about taking action but I think what I learned from writing the leap stories and the blog series and interviewing all those people is it doesn't have to always be a big all or nothing kind of I'm going to put all my chips on the table and go for it it can just be I am going to start up this side thing and see what what happens or you know maybe I will take you know three months off work and dedicate myself to this project and see where it goes I think we we put so much pressure on ourselves that we have to have it all figured out before we actually do it and that's become so overwhelming and paralyzing and I've never seen that really help because you can't also actually know what's all what's involved until yeah. you actually get in there because it's different for everyone. And possibly if you did, it would stop you uh, taking action in the first place. 100%, yeah. Yeah. So our um, podcast is all around um, talking to people that 
make a difference. And I've known you for some time, Kylie, and I've um, loved sort of watching you evolve and, and sort of foray into different areas. But one of the things that most impresses me about you is how you seemingly effortlessly live your values and take action to make a difference in in areas that are important to you that I think a lot of us share, like, say, Black Lives Matter or the um, environment, that you actually take action in, you know, in small and big ways. Um, and I'm just sort of interested to kind of understand what sort of inspires you to take action because I think there's a lot of people that um, sit in that space and sort of want to take action but don't and sort of sit on the fence and, and that's kind of really what we're exploring in this podcast and I think you're such a beautiful example of someone who who, t- who tends to take action in things that are that they're passionate about. Yeah, it's really, it, it's quite an interesting question to ask and I sort of, I don't know exactly why I'm built this way. I guess one of the things I could really attribute it to is my uncle, so my mum's brother was born with muscular dystrophy, which is a degenerative muscular disease. And it's a genetic sex-linked disease that affects mostly boys. And when he got his diagnosis, they didn't predict that he would live much past the age of around 20. And he, it turned out that he actually had a sort of a mutated strain of it and he lived well into his 40s and he got married and had a child and he was also one of the people that was responsible for setting up the Equal Opportunity Commission in, in Victoria. And I guess one of my earliest memories growing up around him was seeing him live as much of a kind of normal, what we would say normal life, I guess, for someone with a quite a severe uh, physical disability and that he would need to sleep, you know, what we call an iron lung, a respirator at night time. But, you know, one of my earliest memories is <laughs> staying, I was, would have been, I don't know, seven or eight, staying at his share house in Fitzroy that he had with a whole lot of his hippie uni mates from Monash, which I remember the smell of that <laughs> Um, as you know something that was um, I would only recognize later when I was a bit older what was actually being smoked in that house he took me to my first rally Um, he was he talked about indigenous rights he had really diverse friends he was advocating for disability rights he he protested out the front of cinemas that weren't accessible and he wrote his life story using like a tongue depressor and a keyboard in the 90s and I think he was probably a huge influence in just showing what's possible when you have the courage to think a bit differently. But I think even before that, if we take it back even a generation before that, so his mother, my grandmother, she defied a lot of advice that her that she got when he got his diagnosis so you know she was told by the doctors look he's not going to amount to much you should just put him in a home and you know so this was in the 50s and she was like absolutely no way he needs physical care that's what he needs and and we'll make that happen and he went to a regular school and he had friends that as his disability became more severe would carry him around school and although he couldn't play in the footy 
team. He became the journalist for the footy team. And so, you know, if it wasn't for my grandmother also sort of saying, defying the supposedly expert advice of the day, you know, he would have had a very different life. So I guess there's part of it that's in my family story. Maybe there's a bit of it in my DNA. (laughs) But there was one, like I I think about in my life story, I remember being in year 10 in an English class with an English teacher at the time. And I'm not quite sure, you know, what we were talking about, but I have some sense it was potentially about nuclear disarmament sort of in the 80s, um, mid to late 80s. And we were having a discussion in this English class and our teacher who I think had immigrated from Eastern Europe somewhere and got us talking about um, protest and the power to make change and influence. And I remember sitting there with my classmates who were actually quite despondent and sort of saying, look, you, we, we don't really have much say we're not we don't really think that we're very empowered like what difference does voting make or what difference does protesting make or and I didn't come from a very politically active parents at all but I remember sitting in that in that class and I started crying I I was like I just I can't buy into that hopelessness or that feeling that you don't matter as an individual or that collectively we can't make a difference. I just remember bumping up to that as a teenager, just thinking that's just not true. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it was only probably reclaiming that in my 40s, actually. I kind of started to really connect those dots. That is amazing. Um, So tell me, can we talk a little bit about what you're passionate about? I did sort of mention a few before, but, you know, if I was to sort of ask you, what what are you passionate about? I think right now at this point in time, I'm really passionate about the intersection between personal awareness, growth and development, leadership and the climate movement. And so those, if there was a Venn diagram, I you know, I sit in the middle of all of those when I think about the work that I do, you know, and I think partly that if I go back to sort of my initial interest in sociology and psychology, it's the, it's the interaction and the interplay between the systems that impact and influence all of our lives, the individual makeup that we have and our own lived experiences, and coming to grips with the biggest existential crisis that humanity has ever had to face and really trying to say what do we need to do to have the kind of leadership that is necessary to face the reality of the future and to lead us through it? What kind of leaders do we need to be supporting and developing what kind of self-awareness and grit and insight and commitment and courage do do they need to have to influence the systems that need to change. I went to the Climate Emergency Summit in Melbourne in February 2020 and I just remember just how powerful that summit was and it was coming off the worst bushfire season that we would ever ha- that we've ever had the huge carbon uh, emissions at footprint that that meant the quality of our air that we were breathing in our major capital cities the the dust storms that came after that the flooding that came after that, you know and 
And I look at all of that and I just think what we're going through actually in the pandemic, in a public health crisis, is very much an insight into the kind of mass disruption and change that is going to be demanded of us for climate change, but even on a bigger scale, <laughs> which sounds all a bit kind of doom and gloom. But um, I, I, I sort of feel like there is, you know, there have been very contested times in history. So we might be in this period of time where, we, where we're facing this huge challenge Every generation has had a challenge that they've had to face. You know, I, I do think about my grandparents and, you know, growing up through depressions and world wars and the disruption that they that they went through. And in their times, in their lives, that they were, you know, the biggest things that they've had to face as well. So for me, I, I think... I, you know, I think the biggest disappointment over the last few years is having thought that we were we had progressed kind of a lot more than what we had. When I think about things like like Black Lives Matter or Me Too, you know, I think about the big social justice movements that have happened. I think growing up in the eighties, in the sort of emergence of white fe- feminism, was thinking, oh, you know, well, a lot of that stuff has been sorted. We can kind of just take a breath and just, you know, ride with it now. And me now in kind of thinking about the last, even in the last 12 months, thinking actually every generation has social justice fights that they need to take up. Nothing is guaranteed. And, you know, unless we stay awake at the wheel, things don't progress, things don't change. That said, I'm also absolutely in awe of the progresses that we have made and I think one of the things when you are working in change it is very easy to get overwhelmed by all the things that are wrong and to not have perspective on how far things have come and even though it's frustrating when things aren't happening as quickly as you would like to also remember that change doesn't happen sequentially or smoothly or linearly most change even that just that big year that I had in 2012 like that that was kind of you know an accumulation of things over time that then just blew up in this big I can't you know I can't do this anymore I'm out and kind of just said something needs to change and you know most change most change is preceded by small things that happen that kind of get momentum to push something big. And, and I think about, you know, when I think about in the disruption that we've had with COVID, for example, I think about what it's shown what actually is possible. Even in Australia, we forget that for a period of time, we actually had fully funded childcare. So it's not that we can't do these things. It's about having the political will to do them. It's having the right levers pulled and the right social pressures and, you know, the right ideas at the right time. You know, when I look at what we could do in terms of upping unemployment benefits and creating social systems that create a a solid standard of living for even the most vulnerable people in the community, we can do that. And we've shown what's possible. And, you know, I think there's kind of like this healthy look at all the issues and it can become really overwhelming and it's okay to feel overwhelmed and upset and 
angry and despondent, but it's no place to stay. Like it's okay to visit those spaces because that's who we are as human beings. That's a full expression of our, you know, our, our emotional selves. It's also the same reservoir that we will pull out of that, that energy to speak up, to to make a different decision, to challenge an idea, to write a letter to your local minister, to, you know, show up to a climate mm. rally. I think trying to say, I just don't want to feel those feelings because it's too hard and I don't know where to start also cuts you off from feeling the hope and being part of the energy that's needed to make positive change. I think that's absolutely my experience is that I get stuck in the overwhelm and in an effort to avoid it, sort of, you know, either run away from it or stick your head in the sand um, rather than, as you said, pushing through it to the other side. I think it's okay to kind of feel overwhelmed and the the self-compassion piece that I've that I've worked on in the last three years and and even making the leap you know talking about people taking leaps it's all about okay well what's one thing that I could do today just like what's one thing could I I don't know it sounds stupid could I refuse a plastic straw or could I just take my keep cup or what could I just one thing like we get so caught up in just it's all hopeless it doesn't really matter that it really eats away at our agency So well articulated, Kylie. I mean, I think, as Kate said, so many people can relate to this feeling of being disheartened by all these major issues. Mm -hmm. But um, exactly as you said, we need to remember that all the little changes do add up and do make a difference. Can you tell us a little bit more about Of Kin and how all these passions and how you address these passions in your business and they become such a big part of your life? The name of kin really came from, I guess, kind of kindred spirits, like who who cares about the same sort of things that I care about. And so when I leapt out into my own business, of kin kind of works because it's about creating community, it's around connecting with others. So I do a lot of work with Brene Brown's curriculum. So I'm a certified facilitator of Brene Brown, the social scientist out of out of Texas in the US. I, find, I found that her research and her curriculum just beautifully articulates everything I knew to be true from my psychology and sociology training, but, you know, really backed with really sound research and presented in the way that's really accessible. I really want to talk about leadership and I want to talk about leadership not from the perspective of a title or a position or power which is often what we think of we we can often conflate or use the word leader for someone who's in a position of power who is absolutely anything but a leader and so I'm really interested in helping people understand what it means to lead their own lives and to do that with the clarity of values of things that really matter to them and the courage to face issues and problems and hard things. And until we actually do the personal work to think about what gets in the way of me confronting difficult things or saying the things that need to be said um, or advocating for the kind of change that we need to happen, until we can actually rumble with our own human discomfort that comes with the vulnerability of doing that, we get really paralysed and we don't get the leaders that we really need to make the kinds of changes that 
we absolutely need. So I guess kind of the idea of, of kin now is really really honouring that idea that we are actually all connected. So one of the big ideas I think that has probably, you know, that probably came out of growing up out of the 80s and the 90s and, you know, the idea of rampant individualism and neoliberalism and chasing big money over doing what's right is really this acknowledgement that we are all part of an interconnected system. And when you pull on one piece of that system, it has a ripple effect through everything else. And so it's really a nod to you as an individual and as a human and also to our collective humanity and that we are all connected and that it's in collectives of really self-aware and empowered individuals that we're going to create the future. We often think of leadership as leading others, but you've just demonstrated that it's just so important to have that level of self-awareness and how can you lead other people um, and be a good leader if you don't understand how to lead your own life? A hundred percent. That's in that's in a nutshell. Can I can I pivot the conversation to a more tangible level? In I'm really interested for you to share with us. What are some of the actions that you take, you know, the little actions that you take every day or or regularly or the decisions that you've made to live up to your values around climate change? There's so many little micro things that you do every day that can add up over time, but it's really just a commitment, I guess, to thinking what serves the truth of what I know that needs to happen. And so some of the things, I mean, you know, I've got keep cups and try and source all my food locally, try to have as least packaging as possible. You know, I try to recycle even though I know that that's, that whole system is fraught and is not as effective as we think it could be. But I guess even in things like every time I run a workshop, for example, in my business. So I, I was trying to think of how could I role model what it looks like to do even small things in my business? And I was looking for opportunities to integrate that to to just sort of show what that looks like. So even in my business, one of the things that I do whenever I'm running a workshop, I do an acknowledgement of country at the beginning, but I also do an acknowledgement of climate. So I put on the table at the very front of anything that I present or speak in public that we need to absolutely acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet and honour them as the kind of custodians that have been able to live in harmony with the climate for tens of thousands of years. I talk about the fact that we're in the sixth mass extinction and that we're contributing to human-caused climate breakdown and that we collectively should all be thinking about how we're contributing to meeting our Paris climate targets um, and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So at the beginning of everything that I present, I put that on the table and I put it out in the world to say these are things that we actually need to be talking about. And even just that small action gets people thinking a bit differently. And I've had people who ask me at the end of a presentation, could you send me 
that acknowledgement. Um, can you send me small information? And so even in my email signature that I have in the emails that go out, it has that as well. Every time I run a workshop, you know, I do do a carbon offset for everyone that comes. So I contribute to 15 Trees, which is a biodiversity restoration um, organisation started by an, an incredible woman. And I make sure that people are aware that that's happening. So I make it part of my business practice to talk about the fact that we need to be factoring in our carbon footprint every time we do something. So they're sort of, you know, some of the tangible things, shifting to green power at home, like in terms of where we source our power from, shifting things like superannuation investments and banking, where are you using your your financial influence in, in some of the decisions that you make? And those kinds of things actually matter because they also send messages to markets and organisations. When I think about at home, one of the great things that happened in our first lockdown in Melbourne was that we installed two underground compost worm farms in our front yard, so doing things like that. I've connected with local um, sustainability groups. I do, I help promote a Love Our Street campaign, which every month we get together and we do a street cleanup. And really plugging in with other people who care about the same things that you care about is a tremendous source of hope. And, you know, going to a climate rally has been, you know, in September 2019, sort of big first global, first big global climate rally, that just, that, you know, there was hundreds of thousands of people in Melbourne and, and around Australia and millions around the world. And, that just reminds me that, you know, on those days that I feel despairing, I'm not alone and that there are a lot of people that really care about this as much as we do. I also volunteer where I can um, for organisations that are working in this space. There's a new group in Melbourne called Regen Melbourne that is looking at how do we apply the donut economics model to Melbourne and, you know, sitting in on those groups and contributing and being around people who are really thinking differently and, you know, are kind of a bit ahead of the curve. I want to invest my time there in that space where I can. I was just going to ask you, Kylie, how do you find all the time? But I guess it's just choosing uh, where to invest your time in the right places. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the great things about having your own business, right? <laughs> you get to say what's on, what's on your agenda. So what, what keeps you motivated? I mean, because surely you must have times where you just go, like you just, you know, you're overwhelmed or you're tired or you've, you know, overcommitted or you just, there's a flood or, you know, something that sort of throws a bit of despondency and despair. Do you, well, first the question is, do you feel that at times? Like, is that normal for you to have those periods? I don't think I ever really get despairing where to the point of I don't think anything can be done. Like, I, I don't know, maybe it's something sort of in my nature. Having I loved working in startups. Like, I love working in that space where it's messy and nothing's figured out yet and there's the potential for creating something out of nothing or disrupting, you know, systems that don't work or, or, or making something better, like showing people actually what's possible. And the thing that kind of annoys me the most, I think, I think the irritation of 
poor leadership is actually just kind of fuels me. Like I, I do get angry and I, I know that angry anger in itself isn't necessarily a productive emotion, but it's a really important emotion to listen to because it tells you what's important. It tells you, you know, some, something that you really care about is being endangered or, or not taken care of or there's a stupid decision being made that, you know, defies every bit of scientific evidence that's out there. <laughs> you know, how, how is that? okay and so I I kind of dig into then okay so you know I donate monthly to carbon regeneration projects we run it we ran a sort of a, a fundraiser after the black summer fires and donated that money to the fire sticks alliance which is you know indigenous land keeping practices and um you know, and also into sort of mental health support for communities. So I just, I don't know, I just, I, th- I think it's about keeping your own reservoir of hope going. And it's, I, I can't fix this all on my own, but I can be, I can stand with a whole lot of people who also care about this and contribute you know, my part of that. And if that means like, you know, last year, one of the things that I did on social media coming out of the um, climate change emergency summit was even just creating a, a highlights on my Instagram account of here are 10 things that you could do that would make a difference. You know, here is 10, you know, and they're not big things. It is things like, can you invest your superannuation um, in a fund that is more eco-ethically friendly can you um, switch to green energy you know can you eat less agriculturally intensive food for a day like it doesn't have to be we all have to become vegans <laughs> can you can you start a conversation can you go and watch 2040 the film can you sit with kids and watch it like I, th- I remember seeing this great quote and it was like, we don't need a thousand people doing zero waste perfectly. We need billions of people making small changes every day. I saw those Instagram commandments the other day and I thought it was a, yeah, it's so great. Just little simple things that everyone can be doing. It's also kind of like the, you know, what do they call it when you have the, um, the entry, the, in- was it doorway drug or the entry? <laughs> It's like, it's kind of yeah. like once you start having a conversation about one thing that is possible, you know, it opens the door to saying, okay. Yeah, that's, that's definitely what I'm hearing, you know, when I ask the question about what keeps you motivated. It, it seems to me like when you start taking action and you start sort of immersing yourself or even dipping your toe in this new way of living or being or this new world, that actually generates its own energy um, and excitement that propels you forward. And so it's it's not often a question of maintaining motivation uh, because it, it naturally happens. Yeah, and I sort of think that time is going to pass anyway. You know, it's it's that kind of idea that, you know, in 12 months' time you wish you would have started today anyway. So time's going to pass anyway. So what am I going to spend it doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, there's no point in sitting here waiting till I have the motivation or I feel better or that the solution is simple or, you know, somebody else is going to come along and fix it. Like I have moments like that too. Like I'm not kind of like this energizer bunny that runs around and does all this stuff. Like literally last weekend I was on the couch like under a blanket with my <laughs> with my heat bag 
just not being able to do very much and but it's sort of like saying that's okay that's it, it it's not about doing everything perfectly or doing taking myself down in the process it's and I'm really big on this idea around sustainable leadership and you know the play on words around that is what kind of leadership do we need to create a sustainable world that lives within our planetary boundaries? But how do I need to also sustain my own leadership in my own life to keep being able to show up in the way that I want to show up? And so, yeah, I, I don't want to kind of come across as like, yeah, you have to be out doing everything all the time. It's like take yeah. time out when you need it. And that, you know, I think it was Audre Lord who was, you know, sort of saying that self-care is a radical act, you know, <laughs> And so it's about balancing that out as well. Mm, Definitely one I'm learning in my 40s. (laughs) Well, I've just finished my 40s and I can tell you that's when I learnt it as well because you just realise actually all that stuff that we were led to believe or, you know, or thought was important, not so much. (laughs) For people that are listening um, that might be interested in learning more about what they can do around your passion of climate change. Um, Have you got any advice for them or is there anywhere that that you would recommend they go for further information or any further resources? So there's a couple of resources that I like to go into sort of just keep on top of being informed about issues. So there's a podcast that's called How to Save a Planet which is fantastic. And one of the hosts of that podcast is Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. And she has a book with Catherine Wilkinson called All We Can Save, which is Truth, Courage and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. And the book is a really beautiful anthology of art and poems and essays from particularly women working in climate around the world. There's Uh, a couple of other so how to save a planet is one the other one I should mention is called outrage and optimism and it's just occurred to me that one of the most fundamental life-changing experiences that I had and and really committed me to the climate movement was actually going to Antarctica at the end of 2019 at the beginning of um, 2020 so I was on a ship in Antarctica with Homeward Bound, which is a a global leadership initiative for women in STEM. And I was part of the faculty that was um, delivering content around visibility. And there was 80 women from 26 different countries on the ship at that time. And what was incredible that one of the people that was part of the faculty who who was on as a uh, kind of a wise elder was Christine, Christiana Figueres, who was the lead negotiator for the Paris Climate Change Agreement in uh, 2015. So she was the lead, uh, she was the UN secretary at the time who led that. So she's an incredible, incredible South American woman who speaks German as well, but was also a trained anthropologist. And here she was actually leading this large international negotiation, which on the surface seems really strange, but when you actually understand that anthropology is all about the study of culture and cultural difference and really learning and appreciating that, you you kind of understand that she was the most perfect person. Um, But, you know, yay the social sciences. Like, you know, I, I... So 
the university in, in WA that with all the university cuts recently, they were cutting off anthropology. And I was like, no, like that's been one of the most no. important, you know, skills and one of the most important leaders of our time. And she was just an incredible woman. We had the opportunity to hear her speak on the ship and talk about you know, when they tried to actually get the agreement up and running in 2009 in Copenhagen and how it fell flat on its face at that time, it failed. And, one, you know, what were the reasons for that and what she did differently and how she turned around a really despondent team of 500 people who been working really hard on this. But, but um, and I don't think people actually realise this, when when a UN agreement goes through, it has to be by it has to be unanimous. So every single country has to sign up to it in order for it to happen. So she led a negotiation that meant that 195 nation states agreed to the Paris Climate Change Agreement. And and so actually spending time with her, hearing how she did that and understanding why that was so incredibly powerful and important, that to me has been I think I, there was no coming back from that being, you know, going back to life and work and, you know, the, the human being that I was before having that experience. She's got an incredible book called The Future We Choose, which she co-wrote with another guy called Tom Rivet-Karnak, and they together have the Outrage and Optimism podcast and they interview people from all around the world. They talk about current events and changes and I think you know, it sums up so beautifully working in this space, working in any change space is you need a healthy degree of outrage and you need a healthy degree of optimism. Being able to face the gritty facts of a situation and have gritty faith that change is possible. I love it. Definitely going to jump on and listen to these podcasts this weekend. Likewise, I've been so inspired, Kylie, by all your ideas and your energy and enthusiasm. I did just want to end with one final question, if you could um, give us an answer to how you would define making a difference. When I think about making a difference, I think it starts with making a difference in my own life. And using what I have where I am right now to do something differently to how it's happening at the moment or, you know, how it's happened in the past. So, you know, even like starting all my presentations with that acknowledgement, the ripple effect that that has had, I think makes a difference. It starts a conversation, people sit up and take notice it gets them curious and it puts something in front of them that needs to be acknowledged and talked about. So to me, making a difference is working with what you have where you are to create a ripple, you know, that on something that matters. Thank you so much, Kylie. I'm feeling so inspired, Kylie. Um, What a great conversation. Thank you so much. That's so my pleasure. I can already see the problem with our... um with our podcast, Julia, <laughs> you and I are going to end up with a list of things to do and books to read and podcasts to listen to. It's a great problem to to have. I was I thought you were going to say just like cutting the conversations the problem because I could just, <laughs> I know I have so many questions. I wanted to chat to Kylie about like it's just so interesting and I think 
you just articulate everything so well, Kylie. Yeah. So really, really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about something that I really, I really care about. You know, I think the challenge is going to be, as you said, it's to not get caught up in all of those things, but to remember even just making your podcast is making a difference. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, there's a million <laughs> things I could continue to talk, but we've got to leave it there. Thank you so much and congratulations. Big round of applause to both of you. Made it happen. Yay! <laughs> Oh, that was such a great, uh, so it was so great having a conversation with Kylie. I'm so inspired by what she had to say. Amazing. I couldn't, could not agree more. What, what, what a great best um, yeah. interview to have. So what were your takeaways? Like what was the big thing for you that you um, took Yeah, away? I think it would be sort of good to summarise a few key things that um, we can take out of it. Um, I definitely, for me, found the relevance of self-awareness is really interesting so just knowing what your values are and how you want to leave your own life I think that Kylie just does such a good job at doing that and manifesting that um, and it's so important to know that if you want to be able to make a difference and also if you want to be able to lead others to doing so yeah I also thought that um, yeah, she makes a difference in so many areas in her life. And at first I found it sounded quite overwhelming because she does so much. Yeah. But then it seems like she's just really good at prioritizing the things that matter. Again, self-awareness in knowing what those things are. Um, and then surrounding herself with inspiring and like-minded people. And when you break it down to that, it doesn't really seem like it's so hard. No, that was actually one of my, that's sort of similar to one of the ones that I wanted to talk about, which is around just taking the small steps. I think I might have mm. asked her the question, you know, what would you recommend? And and because um, we can get overwhelmed, I think, by the enormity of, of climate change. And I think for her to just break it down and, and um, have small things like taking a keep cup or, you know, following people online, yeah. reducing single-use plastic, looking at green energy, um, and all those things I found was way less overwhelming if you can bring it back yeah. to just, you know, one or two actions that you can just take today. It doesn't have to be big. Yeah, for sure. All those little things do make a difference and just making sure you're doing something every day, even if it's just one thing. Yeah, agreed. Um, so one of the things, the last thing I just wanted to share with you was I read an article in the newspaper the other day written by Jonica Newby who has written a book actually um, called Beyond Climate Grief and this is kind of a little excerpt of this article but it just really hit home to me because I think if we're exploring um, so you want to make a difference and how do people get off the fence? I know for myself personally that one of the things that I found really challenging about the whole climate um, is the is the fear and the anxiety around even mm. thinking about it, let alone so you sort of want to stick your head in the sand and not kind of think about it. And, and if you don't think about it, then you actually don't yeah. do anything about it. Oh, for sure. I could relate to that so much. It's yeah. like I think that one of the biggest barriers and I think – Kylie said that it's okay to feel overwhelmed by all the issues and despair, but it's no place to stay. Yes. I really liked that. I, I loved that. that too. Yeah. And when I read this article, I was like, oh, that's the same. And she talks about um, how she spent the last two years on a personal quest, which, which ended up being the book, asking wise people how we live a good and happy life under the weight of this fearsome knowledge. 
Um, and And what she writes is, I'm learning that climate grief is to be welcomed. It honors what you love, shows that you care and can be used as a bounce point to go forward with courage, motivation and hope. I'm learning that to avoid feeling overwhelmed, to foster a healthy information diet, which balances out the bad news with positive stories. Above all, I'm learning to act because that's the advice from everyone I've met. The only way to process the emotional realities of climate change is to do what you can to save what you love. That's great, Kate. That's so relevant to the conversation with Kylie as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Jules, for joining me and us on Well Done Us on our first interview. And um I look forward to our next one. I think that's a great note to finish on um, and let's definitely put a link to the book um, in the podcast notes so that people can look into that. Plus all the resources that Kylie spoke about. Yeah, I was going to say we'll put our key takeaways and a summary of um, Kylie's tips in the episode description. Hmm. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Kate. Thank you and we'll see you next time.